I want to talk to you about the whole chapter, which is why I had Stella read all 44 verses. I've been praying all week about, you know, what does God want to say to us in this time? And, you know, it's a little trepidatious about what, what does tomorrow look like? And verse 29 jumped out of my heart. It says it in this way. It says, there's only one Lord, one and only and I think that's the whole point of what God wants to do is that there's just one and only God. There is no plan B. There's nothing else God has in mind. It's just one and only Lord. And the whole chapter is built around this idea. And here's the idea it's built around. It's built around the idea that if you want to know who the one and only is, you have to ask yourself, well, who's in control? Who's in control of the whole thing? Who controls my life? Who controls my money? Who controls my future? Who controls my happiness? Because, watch this now, whoever controls you is the one who owns you. Control equates to ownership. So that right now we say in America, well, we're free. It's the land of the free. But if you want to know how free you really are, just ask who's controlling your life. Who's the one that's saying you won't eat here, you won't go to school, you won't go there, you won't do these things, you can't meet in big groups. So whoever has control has ownership. And I think that's the whole point of what Jesus is trying to say is he's trying to bring us into an understanding of who has the ownership. Who is the one that controls the ownership over everything that we do? Watch how it plays itself out because it's, it's pretty interesting. In the thinking, Jesus starts out with a landowner. And he, and he owns this vineyard all around. And then at the very end of the chapter, verse 44, we end up with a widow. So at the beginning is a guy that owns a bunch of land. And at the end of the story is the bookend of a widow who owns nothing. She has nothing to her name. And sandwiched in the middle of the whole chapter is this issue of who owns what and who controls what. Because the moment you understand that, you know where lordship is. You find lordship when you start determining who is it that controls my life. I can say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in control of my life. Jesus is in charge of what I do. Jesus does this. Jesus does that. Come to church. Pay my money. Give my offering. And the end result of it all, my emotions control me. My money controls me. My feelings control me. My fear controls me. And when anything other than God controls you, then he loses the place of lordship. This is why our emotions, our mind to be renewed and the things that we are in our heart to be purified with God is because when emotions control me, when my feelings control me, I've lost lordship. And so Jesus pulls this thought in this way. The first story he talks about is with a landowner. And the landowner says, look, I'm going to leave you in charge. I'm going to leave some people in charge. I'll come back later. They kill every one of them with one thought. I want to control the estate. I don't want to be submitted to some dude controlling the state. I will kill everybody he sends. I'll knock off all the servants. I'll kill the son. I'll do whatever I have to do because I want to be in charge of the estate. In other words, he who owns the estate is in control. And so the very first story is one about control. Then they come to the second story, and here's what they ask. Hey, we just want to know who's in charge of the money. 
I want to know, is Caesar in charge of the money or is God in charge of the money? And Jesus goes, well, now that since we're talking about ownership, let me see who's on the coin. And he says, well, the picture on the coin is Caesar. So give to Caesar what Caesar. Oh, and by the way, give to God whatever, whatever is God. And so he brings us into this thought that even when it comes to money and we look at money, we have to determine who's in control of the money. Story number one, who controls my real estate? Who controls the things of my life that I invest in? Who's in charge of my home? <clears throat> who's in charge of my life? Who's in charge of the things that I've worked so hard for, my retirement money? Who's in charge of my future? That's story number one. Story number two, who's in charge of my money? Who controls my money? Does the government control it? Does my business control it? Does my employer control it? Does God control it? I just need to know who controls my money. And then it goes even deeper because after he talks about who controls the real estate, who controls the money, he jumps in with this. Who controls the woman? Hey, look, there's a lady. She's got seven, seven husbands. We just want to ask one question. Who controls her? Because in that day, to be married to a woman, the dude was in control. And he wanted, we want to know who's going to get her. Who's going to be the one that has the rights to her when we've been resurrected? Who's going to be the one to control the girl? Who's going to get the privilege of owning her? Whose body, who, who, what husband gets the right to her body? And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're talking about. But now again, here we go with the third level of control. First, the control for my future and my stuff. Second, the control for my money. Third, the control for my sexuality and my feelings and my relationship. Like Jesus is literally just peeling each layer of the onion apart to bring us into a moment to who really does control your life. You call me Lord, you say the things you want to say, but let's just get to the nitty-gritty. Who really is in charge of your life? Who really is the Lord of your life? I've been watching all this play out. Robin and I have been having a lot of discussion just about everything that's going on. And the strange thing about it, even though a virus is the culprit, it's almost as if God himself has just yanked everything in our life that's been sucking the life out of us, taking our time, the excuses of our life. I don't have enough time. I've got to go here. I've got to go there. If I can squeeze God in, I will. You know, it's, it's uh, Luke chapter 14. A guy held a banquet and said, hey, come. I want you to come to my banquet. And then he said, well, I can't. I've been married. Uh, I bought a cow. I can't make it. And man, I was looking at everything we're struggling with today, the stuff that we're, you know, kind of nervous about. And this is just my take. I mean, this is my opinion. I think God is just sick of being last place. I think he's tired of getting your leftovers. He's tired of giving your leftover money, your leftover time, your leftover energy. But as long as you call him God in this hip pocket, I'll give him all my leftovers in this hip pocket. That's the whole chapter 12. You call me Lord. You say all the things you want to say. You tell me you love me. You tell me you want to keep the commandments. You're all religious in your duties. But the one thing nobody's willing to answer is who really controls you? Who really does own you? And that's the hardest thing to look at. 
is to really ask ourselves the question, school is gone, my hobbies are gone, there's no more cheer, there's no more gym, there's no more soccer, there's no more baseball, there's no more track, there's no more dance. I mean, everything that I could have two weeks ago said, you know, I'm just so busy, I don't really have time to do that. I'm I'm telling you, man, my plate is full. And God's like, oh, your plate's full. Okay, I'm going to empty the plate for you. And I just want to see now what excuse do you have for me not to be first place. Oh, my excuse now is I'm fearful, nervous, and I'm Googling the virus. I spend all my time now just busy with my fear, busy with my anxiety. I just shifted busyness, and I think God's just scratching his head like, what in the world? I've given you an opportunity to move me back into first place. I've given you an opportunity to put me back to the honor that I need. I've removed everything that you were so sucked dry. You gave me the last bit of your effort in your prayers, the last bit of your money if you could afford it, the last bit of your energy at the end of the day. And I think God's just like, I'm just tired of being last. I'm just tired of being your, your, your side chick. I'm just tired of being your, your girlfriend. I, I want you all or nothing. I want everything. I want all. And that's what verse 29, it says it this way. It says, look, here's the commandment. I'm the one and the only. There's nobody else. That's the whole message of of Mark chapter 12. The whole message is I own the vineyard. I own the money. I own your relationships. I own everything. And here we sit in 2020 with everything that my life was sucked dry. My money's going to dance, gym, cheer, school, proms, this and that, sports. And God's like, oh, okay, your gym membership is taking your money and all of that. Okay, look, we're just going to eradicate it all. We're going to eradicate your gym memberships, your cheer memberships, your soccer memberships, your baseball memberships, your dance memberships, your cheer memberships, your prom dresses, everything you've been relying on. We're just going to eradicate it all. As a matter of fact, not even going to let you go to the movies for a while. I'm just going to isolate you in a point to ask you to ask yourself a question. Are you calling me God and giving me the sorry leftovers? I don't want to be that guy. I've been married to Robin 30 years, and there's nothing more frustrating in a husband and a wife who are raising children and, and you know, where you're doing your best to just kind of pass like strangers in the night. Hey, babe, hey, I'm just so tired. Oh, God. And then we give each other the leftovers. And as a husband and a wife, there's nothing worse than the kids and life sucking all the energy out so that all I have left for Robin is my leftovers. All she has left for me at the end of the day is just her leftovers. I'm just worn out. And I guess the the, the heart of God to us today, this morning, tonight, the heart of God, and this is going to sound rude. I don't mean it rude. I think the heart of God, and maybe this is the, the title of it, is I'm sick of leftovers. I, I, don't, I don't want, I don't even know if God can get sick. I do know this, he can get angry, and I do know this, he can cry out of sorrow. 
And I just wonder if he's in heaven going, man, everything these humans who said they love me and they told me I was first place and yet I look at all they do, I look at their time, I look at their money, I look at their desires because that's the, the, the owner of the vineyard, all of your desires and then the taxes to Caesar, all of your money and then the seven men who get the chick, all of your relationships. I think God's looking at all of that, just scratching his head going, I just don't feel like I'm the one and only. I feel like I'm a second thought. I feel like I'm a last-ditch effort. I feel like I'm the old boyfriend. When you're bored, you text me and ask me if I can come over a while. I'm your hookup. I just think God's sick of that. And I think this whole moment of time of what we call ourselves in this time, uh, social distancing. So you know, I've never even heard the word. It, it sounds kind of terrible for extroverts, but but social distancing. I guess if I, you know, I always try to weave the kingdom in stuff. And I, if I'm going to weave the kingdom in this thing, like take the thread and weave that thread through the kingdom, I, I would probably say this. We're talking about, now stay six feet away. Don't touch each other. No more than groups of ten. Stay away. Wash your hands really good. Yeah, I understand that because I don't want to catch what you got. I, I, don't, I don't want the junk you've got. But the reality is, if we flip the script, I wonder if God feels the same way. I wonder if he feels like, man, you're never intimate with me. You, you always keep a little bit of distance from you. You don't want to catch what I've got. You don't want the power that I have. You, you, you just... You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to get us to understand that maybe there's something playing out that's totally different that's ever played out before. And that it's the God of the universe that created the whole thing, that's in charge of it all, that created the lands and created it all, gave you the very job you have, gave you the very legs you walk on, gave you the house that you live in, gave you the health that you have, and gave you an opportunity to live on the planet. Suddenly shows up one day and says, I'm just tired. Of, of being last I'm tired of you putting all your effort other places I'm one and I'm only that sounds arrogant it sounds like he's narcissistic I'm the one and the only there's nobody else why do you keep trading me out why do you love other things more than you love me and then right in the middle verse 29 verse 30 verse 31 the guy shows up the religious guy and says hey, hey what, is the, what is the greatest commandment and he says, well, I'll tell you the greatest commandment. It's that God is one and only, and you need to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and by the way, your neighbor is yourself. And then the dude does what every religion man, check does. That's good. Yeah, man, I check that check. Man, I check that box off. You're right. Love God, man. Do it. I love God with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my neighbor, oh, absolutely, just mowed his grass yesterday. As a matter of fact, I'm so holy, I just ran an errand for an elderly person to Publix and nearly got shot in the head. That's how holy I am, right? And this is what the guy does. He goes, and I love what Jesus responds. Jesus says, well, good, you answered well. You're close. He said, man, you're really close. You're close to the kingdom. You're not there. You're just close. I just heard your answer. In other words, you gave the right answer. You're right at the door, but you're still not in yet. You're a group of people who know how to say the right thing. You know how to say amen. Praise God. That's right, brother. Preach it, sister. Mic drop moment. Hashtag this. You know how to say the right things. 
You're this close to my power. You're this close to my intimacy. You're this close to really knowing what this thing is all about. And I don't know what the guy's thinking at the end of it, but I think most of us are comfortable to be this close. I think we're close to be socially, spiritually distanced from God as long as I'm close because I'm closer than you. And God's like, I don't want close. I don't want you, hey, you're kind of close to the kingdom. You give the right answers. You know the scriptures. You know all the things. You know the right words to say. You can fake it. You've been in the game long enough to know. So you know what to say. And then, and then the end result is this, and it's really weird how the thing ends because as it starts to turn, Jesus is going to do something that stings a bit. Because what he's going to do is he's going to define for us what real love is. Because when we say, I love him, when I look and go, oh, I love him, we're this close to it. We love him because we feel like we do. We love him because once a month I check the religious box off that I went to his house. I love him because I gave him some money. I love him because I tuned in today on a Sunday. I must kind of love him because I'm, I'm kind of going the extra mile. And here's what I can say. I can look at Robin and say, honey, I love you. Don't you know I love you? And she's going to say, well, yeah, I mean, I know you love me, Mark. But then she can say, but you really just don't ever give me your all. Like, you, you really just don't ever... I always feel like that I get on your nerves. I always feel like you only need me to pick up your underwear. Mm, come on, somebody. Uh, uh, you only need me for what I can do for you. You only need me for sex. You only need me just because I'm your wife. Uh, and, and I think God kind of feels that way. Like, do you only need me to answer your prayers? Because there's not a woman in here. There's not a woman listening right now that's going to go, I just love to, I love my husband to tell me he loves me, but he really just uses me. So Jesus is going to define love. And it's so far-fetched from Christian love today. Because Christian love today is about emotions and feelings. Do you love him? Yeah, I love him. I mean, you really love him. Oh, man, I really love him. I do. I, I read my Bible. I pray. I go to church. I check the boxes. I serve on a team. I, I do all the things that I guess are required for us to do, like the guy... I do all of that. I do all the commandments. And he's like, yeah, get, get this, this close. Could you imagine, watch, could you imagine you go to church, you read your Bible, you pray, you give, you tithe, you serve on a team, and you get to heaven, and you're standing in front of Jesus, like you're, you're face to face with him finally, and he walks up and says, Mark, man, you went over and above for me. You read your Bible every day, zero excuse, so proud of you. You gave, you tithed, you showed up and preached, you loved your children. Oh, I was so proud of you. My little heart just fluttered. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I know. And he goes, but Mark, you're this close. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, this close. I did more than most people. How could you tell me I'm this close? Because the reason I'm this close is because we measure ourselves against each other. As long as I'm more holy, more godly than you, more spiritual than you, then I must be really tight with God. 
And God's like, I'm not measuring you against somebody else. I'm measuring you against myself. I'm measuring you against the love you show me, against nobody else in the room. And we religious people measure ourselves against each other, which is stupid. Because you'll always pick somebody dumber and not quite as spiritual as you, so you'll feel better about yourself. You rarely pick other people better. And then the challenge of all of this is then what is love? Defined by Jesus. And here is the, I mean, this, this just touches my heart because it makes me really just have to take an eraser and erase all my boxes. Because he ends with, you want me to tell you what real love is? I was in the temple the other day and there was a widow. Well, the moment he says that, He starts from a different perspective of love than most people. Because he's going to use the widow as a prime example of true kingdom love. He's not going to use the tenant farmers, the taxpayers, the religious leaders, the Sadducees. He's not going to use any of them to define real love. He is going to to end the thing by a definitive moment of a widow being the prime example of what true kingdom love for God is in her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's mind-blowing. Because in our day, a widow is, well, a widow. We, we, we feel sorry for them, maybe, or we, we help them and we support them and we take care of them and we, the church grabs them. Oh, a widow in that day was the lowest of the low. They were the most non-valued people. There was not much hope for them at all. There was not much hope for their future, their estate, because they have no man, they have no husband. There's not much hope for their money. There's no money, there's no way to make money in then as a woman. There was not much you could do. So already he takes this widow woman who really has no right to an estate, who really has no way to make money, and who really is just being abused by men of that day, as they've already said, who owns her body. And she's sitting here with no husband, no man, no form of income, no form of an inheritance. We know that's true because she was the poorest of the poor. So already he's using her as in... Don't worry about your inheritance. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about your money. Don't worry about your relationships because I want you to love me and be in love with me and now I'm going to define what love is. And he says, I see this lady. She's a widow. And then I love how Jesus does it because he kind of sneaks it in. He says, hey, you, you see everybody else giving? You see what they're doing? And they're giving out of their surplus. They can afford it. But this lady, she gave out of her lack because she gave everything. I'm going to read it, verse 44, because I think it is the truth of what true, genuine love is. Listen to how it ends. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Let's go back to the thought at the beginning. Who owns you? Who controls you? Just ask who owns the surplus of your life. 
Who owns your desires? Who owns your money? Who owns your feelings? Who owns your happiness? And then he says this. He says, look, I just want you... This is strange. I just want you to give me everything. Girls, I want you to give me your boyfriends. Boys, I want you to give me the girlfriend. I want you to give me your money. I want you to give me your job. I want you to give me everything you have. In other words, whoever controls the surplus controls your life. If you're in charge of your money and not God, then that's not real love. Because watch, anything you're controlling is not love. When you're in control, you may say you love, but anything that you say, I love, but I'm holding on to control, is not real love. If I look at Robin and go, I love you with my whole heart, and she says, well, but I feel like you just hold back, you hold your money back, you hold this back. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I love you. There's not anybody in here that I would know in any normal, rational thought that would say, I feel so much love when the person I'm connected to holds back on me. They don't share their heart with me. They don't give me their all. They don't tell me their hurts and their secrets. I mean, that is the trueness of love is who controls this thing. And here we sit in some weird way. Like, I'm not even trying to fake it. It's a Thursday night here. But the beauty of what's done on a Thursday night will touch you on a Sunday morning or a Monday or Tuesday or whenever you're watching this. But the beauty of it is, and the question of the moment is, who's in control? Because if you're in control, it's not good love. It's weak love. It's pitiful love. And maybe this whole thing where everything we've trusted has been stripped out from under us, the carpet's been yanked out from under us, maybe it's God just up in heaven going, look, dude, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of you give everything to everything else and then I just get the, 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 the leftovers. I, I just think he's tired of it. I, I think the heavenly father's like, did I die so you could go spend all of your efforts and time on you? Did I die so you could run yourself ragged, chasing your children all over the continent for their happiness? I don't think he's mad that we do it. Like I don't think God's mad that we take our daughter to cheer and dance and gym. I don't, I don't think he's mad at all. But I think he is scratching his head going, they sure do tell me they love me, but man, I'm not their surplus. I'm their leftover. So do you, do you love him like the widow loved him or do you love him like religious people love him? Do you love him with everything? Because the, the reality of that is so weird. It's like, yes, I love him. I'm going to give him an offering. But would you give him all of it? Like, would you give him everything you had? Because the reality of it is you can lose it all in a moment. Like, I'm having conversations with people now who are losing retirement, may lose their home. I'm like, dear God, like, we sell our soul to the world and can lose it at the drop of a hat. Like, you, you think the world is on your side? You think the world is trying to make you sick? No, you're killing yourself. You're, you're, you're draining yourself. You're, you're being used and abused. You know, the Christians today are like the parable of the seven husbands that the world just sleeps with us and uses us and abuses us and then just leaves us like a widow. Drains our energy, drains our time, drains our emotions, and then we're just left like a washed up, like nothing left over. And that's what I want to challenge you with.
I want you to take this time that we have that we're isolated and we're alone and everything we've counted on and burned ourselves out and used our energy and our time. And man, I just want you to look today, maybe gather the kids around, maybe husband and wife, ask the hard question. And the hard question is who's in control of your desires? Who's in control of your future? Who's in control of your money? Who's in control of your relationships? Because watch, whoever is in control, that's where the love is going. It's where the energy's going. It's where the time is going. And I just want you to process for one moment to take a deep breath on this day and look deep in your soul and ask him, if I use the word, he has everything as a definitive of love, then the question would be, then how much do you love him? How much do you love him? Because here's, here's the truth, and this is what stung me this week. If I say he has everything, well, I'll give him everything, right? Like, oh, I'll give him everything. I'll give him my money. I'll give him everything. I mean, he's got it all anyway. And then you say, well, good, you said it. I guess he did. How do you know when somebody genuinely has let go of everything? How do you know? Like, how could we measure Mark has let go of houses, lands, estates, money, a relation, like Mark has just let it all go. I mean, he said he did, but how do we know he really did? Because like the widow, I come to a place of peace. Peace. How do I know I've let go of my future? Because I'm at peace. Well, what if, what if, what if? I don't even do what if, because if I start doing what if, I'm not in control. I'm getting back in control. What about your money? What if, what if? Oh God, if I go to what if, then I'm putting myself back in control. And if you don't think I've not done what if, we've just been in this building for a year, a little over a year, a week ago. And in one year of being home and rejoicing, I'm looking at $1.2 million with an economy that's tanking and in the back of my head going, man, you're going to lose all 12 acres. You're going to have nowhere to meet. Everything your dad gave you as inheritance, you're going to lose it. You won't be able to make the payments. You won't be able to do it. And I'm telling you, a year ago, I would have freaked out. A year ago, I would have been like, oh, God. I would have laid awake at night, nervous, trying to figure it out. And now I can just say, yeah, I went to Sweetwater Park. I did a prayer walk. God is your building anyway. I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm not going to let it sit heavy on me. I'm not going to worry if I'm going to lose my house or keep my house or have to sell my car or not sell my car. Not even going to worry about it. God, if i got to sell all my guitars, I will. Whatever. I'm not even worried. I don't even care. Because the moment you give him everything, what's there to worry about? Like, really? If I give him everything, what is there to worry about? What if I go broke? Well, then you haven't given him your money. Well, what if I get sick? Then you haven't given him your health. Well, what if I lose my house? Then you're still in control of it, so just give it to him. Because the moment you give him everything, fear just goes, whew. So how do you know you love him? You give him everything. How do you know you've given him everything? Because you're at peace. That's what I want to leave you with today. I'm going to ask Robin to come back up. We're going to get ready to partake of communion. 
Michael's going to come back up in a moment, and he's just going to kind of lead us in a course on the way out. So if you're watching, I want you to go to the, you know, go to your kitchen or wherever and get your elements together. Robin and I are going to come. I'm just going to ask everybody in here to stand up with us, if you will. And we're just going to let this be a holy moment. And as we get ready to partake of communion, Robin and I are going to put our faith with you. We're going to put our faith with everybody in here and everybody that's watching. And this is what she and I want to challenge you with. Are you willing in this time to sit down and assess who really is in control of your life? Who really controls it? And if you want to know who, ask where most of the fear is going. Because if you follow the anxiety or follow the fear you will find who is in control. That will be where lordship lies. So my challenge today is let's just do this. What a great prayer, especially during communion. Jesus, I give you everything. I give you my future like the widow. I give you my job. I give you, hey, I don't know who this is for, but I really feel this in my spirit. There's like a mom that is just super anxious and nervous and fearful about your children. Hey, I'm not telling you not to use wisdom, but I'm telling you, just give them to the Lord. You know, like Samuel's mother, I just give him over to the Lord. Do you know what? God will watch over your children. God will keep them safe. You won't have to worry about it. So bow your head right now. Father, in Jesus' name, Robin and I just take this moment to put our faith with everybody that is tuned in to be part of this moment of history. In time, God, this word that you've given to our body, it's one thing to say we love you, it's quite another to give you the leftovers. And so today, Father, we're, we're repenting of the leftovers. We are repenting of giving you the leftover money, the leftover energy, the leftover time. God, we're saying we're sorry. Lord, the world has used us. The world has taken us to bed and drained our energy and drained our emotions, drained our money. And God, we're standing before you now in 2020 of March. And Lord Jesus, there's so much just convoluted stuff that is directly connected to our peace our homes, our money, our relationships, our health. And God, we're so religious that in the middle of the convolutedness and the fears and anxiety, we're still shouting, but I love him, but I love him. And yet we're still holding on to all of it. We're scared to really let it go like the widow because it's all I've got left. I'm I'm scared to really give it to you because what if? And so today, Father, Robin and I just bless everybody that's listening. God, we put, our, we put our faith together that fear will have no right, no control, no power over you. And that today, every fear will be given over to God. Every anxiety will be given over to God. So right now, where you are, maybe God's bringing it to your mind. Maybe there's an anxiety or a fear that's just prevailing. I want you to just say, God, I give it to you. I give you my everything. I've been trying to fix it. I've been trying to figure it out. I've ran through every scenario. God, I've Googled it. I've written it down. I've torn it up. I've tried everything. It's driven me crazy. 
But today, Jesus, I give it to you. I give you my everything. For those of you worried about your job, I give you my job, Jesus. I quit worrying about it. I give you my everything. Those of you worried about your health, I give you my health, Jesus. I give it to you just like the widow. I let it all go to you. I trust you emphatically. I will not fear. Fear has no right in me, no control. And now God, Robin and I stand in front of these elements of communion today. And our heart is as we gather together as shepherds over this house with our family, our spiritual family. As leaders of this house, Father, I pray that she and I would have the boldness to lead strong. We would not lead weak in this time. You would give us faith to lead. You would give us wisdom, ears to hear wisdom. Father God, that we would hold the banner high of trusting you. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, I thank you for the elements that we hold in front of us, for the message that we've heard It will find good ground. And Lord, as we take this communion now, we give you our everything. So where you are, everybody just pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, this day, I'm sorry for giving you my leftovers, my leftover time, energy, money. Forgive me. I choose you. I say I love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to love others with all my heart. So I repent of making it about me. I'm tired of being in control. I let it go today. Every fear and every anxiety in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, give me power now. Bless this communion in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us partake of communion together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.